Welcome to Harp Song, presented by Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions. Bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. Need a little pick-me-up? Join me and a few of my friends at Moon Over the Trees for a free winter holiday party on December 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It will be broadcast on YouTube Premiere so we can all chat with each other during the concert and connect to others in the community from all around the world. There will be lots of music on harp, piano, organ, guitar, sing-alongs, stories, cookie recipes, laughs, and more. Robin Gordon Cartier, Rachel Hare, Kathy D'Angelo, and Dennis Gormley, and other special guests will be there. The concert's free, but you need to sign up for a ticket. So head on over to moonoverthetrees.com for more information. Okay, on to today's episode. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. I first heard Allie Robertson's music this past summer when I was moderating workshops at the online Somerset Folk Harp Festival. Allie is one of Scotland's leading composers and a sought-after harpist. Life has a way of sending you down paths that you might not have originally considered. In our chat, Allie talks about how she studied genetics at Cambridge University for four years, then decided to take a gap year to pursue a master's degree in Irish traditional music at the University of Limerick's Irish World Academy of Music and Dance, my alma mater. Working with Michal O'Sullivan and others at UL helped Ali start down a path that has led her to be an in-demand composer and performer. Her newest project is fittingly named Adenine, after one of the four nucleobases in the nucleic acid of DNA. A really nice connection to Ali's years of studying genetics at Cambridge University. Here's a description of the album taken from Adenine's Kickstarter page. This solo project creates rich, multi-layered soundscapes with use of an electric harp, a myriad of pedals, field recordings, and a modular synth. Ali's joined by an illustrious cast of musicians, including a groundbreaking string quartet and producer Jim Sutherland. This album is an homage to the harp and a celebration of its multifaceted possibilities as both an ancient instrument and an undeniable force in contemporary music. Niall Keegan, course director of the MA in Irish Traditional Music Performance at UL, is quoted as saying that Ali's synthesis of Irish, Scottish, and contemporary harping techniques into an individual style represents the realization of otherwise unimagined possibilities for the Celtic harp. The music that we're listening to is The Exploding Bow, it's from Ali's album, First Things First. Ali is also a founding member of the Outside Track, 
who just released a Christmas album this year that's absolutely fantastic. So on with the show. Thank you so much for for being here with me today. Um, it's just wonderful to see you. And the last time I saw you was at Somerset. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't in person, but um, at least we had a chance to, to chat for a little bit before one of your workshops and all. But I just want to thank you for taking the time out to, to talk t- with me thank today. So um, I guess we'll just like get right into it. Um, what made you get interested in the, in the harp? So I played piano from when I was about eight years old. Um, and then my school choir, every Christmas we would do a, a sort of carol concert with a harp group. And so I just totally fell in love with it and, and pestered my parents for about a year until they finally relented and were like, <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, that was, that was it. And just sort of, um, it, weirdly, I was a very bad harp student for about the first two years I didn't really practice at all and then suddenly it just all clicked and I just totally fell in love with it and and never really looked back oh that's so great um so did you start with classical harp or did you no so I so I was playing classical piano um but no I moved I started off on a classic and that's still my primary instrument I for a couple of years during school I did study pedal harp um, and there was a short period of my time when I thought I maybe would become a pedal harpist but actually I realized that the repertoire and actually just the sound of the Celtic harp is what I really love more I love that it's got this kind of more bright more vibrant sound to it than the pedal harp so it really drew me in Hmm. I think that's really why I love these harps as well and the, and the repertoire too. It's just, it's just, for me, it's just so much more fun to play. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love like the, I mean, the classical harp is gorgeous, but um, I just feel like this is more, you relax into it and it's. I think so. And I think they're more responsive in a way, like because the, the string tension is that little bit lighter and things that you, they're really rapid to respond to everything that you're doing. So you just have this huge dynamic range and, and huge, um, ability to do things that I think are actually a lot harder on a pedal harp. Oh, true. Um, do you prefer like carbon fiber strings or do you like um, gut strings or? I tend to like the carbon fiber just because of sheer um, durability these days. And also I, they've got like a brightness to them, which I think is actually really quite nice. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to play in carbon. Do you have like a particular harp maker that you prefer or? So my uh, main harp is a Larry Fisher harp. Um, they're made up in Winnipeg, Canada. And yeah, I absolutely love that one. But then I also, I mean, I'm a total harp collector. I've got far <laughs> too many. So I've got um, a cam, I've got two camacs actually, an Asley's and uh, electric harp. And I have uh, Frank Sievert harp, who's, he's a German harp maker. Um, and I've got uh, one made in Minnesota by Dave Cartier. Um, and there's another one that I'm forgetting. I've got a wire strung harp as well. So yeah, oh, the, wow. the collection is, is endlessly growing and um, space is always hard. <laughs> I don't think you're alone in that too. No. <laughs> yeah. And my friends that play guitar too, that's, they have like tons of guitars. Like this one sounds different and this one has like, you know, different pickups and, you know. I mean, they can hang on the wall though. That's what we need, like harps that can hang on the wall. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I was listening to your compositions, like the ones that you have up on, um, on your website and maybe it's just me, but I, I, for me, like you have like a, a love of 
the breath and breathing and air and um, like even like the way the cello was playing the one piece and um, especially the your choral piece. Yeah, I think that a lot that I think that also factors into how I play. I think I'm as interested in the space between the notes as I am in the notes themselves, and in that yeah, always having a feeling of kind of like air and space around anything that I'm doing. Um, to yeah, to, I guess to have that. I you know it's it's obviously lovely when you have something that's like super fast and flashy and, and big. But yeah, I love those really quiet sounds and, and making the kind of micro sounds more prominent in work. I think that's why I love playing slow airs so much because it's really all about the, it's much more about the space in between the notes than about the notes themselves. Oh, sure. Do, do you make it a point when you play your slow airs to learn the to learn the whole text of the piece too? Or Very often, yeah. Very often, I, if I know that, it's had, that it has words to it, then yeah, I'll, I'll try and make sure that I know exactly what it is that the piece is meant to be saying and when and where and things. Because um, I think that's such an important part of understanding what it is that you're playing and why you're playing it. And when you're arranging for like music that's hundreds of years old, do you have a, um, a particular way that you go about with your arrangements, like how you approach the piece? Um, I think. I mean, I think it depends very much what the piece is. Um, if it's, I try and choose left hands or accompaniments that are always going to be aesthetically kind of um, appropriate to the piece. And while I guess, like, I, I am a lover of harmony and a lover of colour. But for me, especially with dance music, the thing that matters much more is, um, I guess, the groove of the piece and finding left hands that accentuate that groove um, so that they're enhancing what the melody is doing rather than taking away from... Sometimes you hear left hands where the left hand is kind of demanding more attention than the right hand, whereas I try to always keep in mind that they are dance tunes and it's really all about that lift and that flow that you want to keep in them as mm. much as possible. Um, so you play the piano and... The piano, yeah, but no, I, I'm a very bad tin whistle player as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was, <clears throat> sorry, I was just wondering if you, you know, because I know a lot of harpists, they play concertina or pipes or, um, and then that kind of like is an influence on their um their accompaniment that they they come up with as well so yeah definitely. I think it's like I mean it's any musical background that you have definitely feeds into each other I think for me I was a I did a lot of dancing when I was younger um so not so much now but definitely when I was growing up I was doing like highland dancing and Scottish country dancing um and a bit of step dancing so again I guess that importance of tempo and of being understanding that the tunes are for dancing was sort of always there it was always very integral to what I was doing so that's probably affected how I play now yeah and I think it's it's great when the dancers can have live music playing with them instead of just the recorded music it's absolutely yeah um well speaking of live music you're doing like a mini tour right now or um I finished um a mini tour in Italy um and then uh, I arrived in Germany two days ago ready for a German tour but uh, yesterday they made new COVID announcements which means that all the theatres have to shut so that one. So now I'm just waiting for I when I arrived in the country I had to have a COVID test because I'd come from another country so now I'm just waiting for the results of that test and as soon as I have negative results I can fly home again but no yes uh, sadly this is not the year for making plans <laughs> <weird stuff>. <laughs> <laughs> at least you had a little bit of time in Italy which is yeah, wonderful lovely for new audiences 
places again and just to get out. And it was funny, last night I, I um, went out for like a, a very short walk just on my own and I passed a church and there was a choir singing and I just like put my head in and it totally just got instant goosebumps. Oh. The first time I've heard people singing together in sort of eight months now. And I was, oh, oh yeah. Wow. It was really yeah, I think everybody misses singing together and playing music together and just, you know, yeah, just that communal experience. I, it was so nice to in Italy to, I was playing with some other people and just to look over on stage and, and you know, you have those little moments of connection where you just sort of share a smile or a little look and, yeah, it's, it's so nice. Oh, what made you want to become a composer? And I guess for me, it kind of, I mean, I've always written music. I guess when it started to become more serious was really, I was touring a lot and touring with mostly with a band and you know I absolutely love that but I was finding that I was always um when you're on the road and when you're with a band it's very hard to ever have time for yourself and you're also always involved in in a band like it's always like a very sort of democratic music making experience where everyone's ideas are feeding in and things and so composing sort of became like a little escape for me it was like a little bit of time each day when it was just my own little world and I could just do exactly what I wanted and and um yeah and I just I just sort of really fell in love with it like it became a way for me to sort of express my ideas and to have something that I felt was like very authentic Mm. to what I was doing and then over time I have just sort of studied more about it and spent a lot of time doing it to the point where you know now I've really studied writing for lots of different instruments and and types of orchestration and things like that and now it's sort of definitely about 50% of what I make my living doing. Oh wow. Do you prefer like um, composing for uh, choirs or larger orchestras or soloists or? All of them have their own charm like I, I love writing for voices I think there's something so nice about that that real human sound that you can create but also that you can get this very otherworldly sound from it um so that's and also like you know singing choirs was really like the first thing I did in terms of music making so I think that's always very close to my heart and then it really depends like there's nothing like hearing your piece played by an orchestra and you know that huge big wall of sound and all those textures you can get but at the same time to write for a solo instrument is so lovely because normally you get to know the player a lot better and you can really bring out all the colors that one instrument alone can do um so yeah they, I mean they all have their charms I think they all have such nice advantages mm. to them and the, the cello has such a, a a human voice kind of quality to it that you can sort of play around with both I you know absolutely like the cello is just one of my favorite things to write for oh yeah yeah um I need to pick mine back up again <laughs> I love it ending for harp and cello I really must do that oh nice. yeah that'd be oh that'd make that'd be gorgeous yeah. are you taking commissions too or or um yeah I do so so most of the work I do for composition is is kind of to commission um and that can be ending from like somebody just wants a piece for their friend's wedding or something like that up to like you know a symphony orchestra coming and commissioning something so yeah so kind of all all shapes and sizes oh wow it's uh, when you were at the University of Limerick, did you compose a lot when you were there or you did the... Um... I did a fair amount there. I was lucky that um, Michal O'Sullivan was, was still alive at the time. And so I had some composition lessons with him, which is, you know, really oh, yeah. special. 
Um, and yeah, I guess that's again where I sort of started doing more large scale composition and, and kind of getting out of just the 16 bar format and into bigger pieces. That was where a lot of that began. How did that come about, the traditional uh, spirits album? That was a kind of co-commission between a whiskey company and Creative Scotland, um, who they wanted a, a suite of music that was all about the whiskey industry. So I ended up spending a lot of my time sort of in residency at Glenfiddich Distillery um, up in Scotland. And yeah, it was great. I got to kind of compose in all different parts of the warehouse and really get to know about the distilling process and all about how, how all of the parts of the process work um, and then create music about it oh wow that's that's so neat so from like the mash to like the um the angel spirit and the devil share right (laughs) (laughs) so your composer in residence for glenn Glenn glenborn glenborn opera yeah yeah i've i've been with them for (laughs) supposed to be two years although now again it's got extended um working with them on creating a new youth opera um which is sort of all based around the tale of the pied piper of hamlin um so yeah that's been great fun to be involved with them and and kind of get to know a lot more about how their company works and get to again be writing for voices and it's really fun Uh, i think one of the things, one of the reasons I'm drawn to opera is is not necessarily the the type of voice involved, but it's about the storytelling element, and I think that very much comes from growing up with folk music and folklore and um, storytelling and and all that those traditions that almost all my pieces are have sort of narrative of some form, which is quite strong, and so when you can really like bring that to life with things on stage it's even nicer and then the nice thing about opera is you can have two storylines going on at the same time like singing together you know yeah exactly it's lovely you get to really like explore the characterization and yeah have kind of to it's it's fun as well because it's very collaborative because you're working with designers and with lighting people and with costume makers and with directors and producers all at the same time there's so many people involved in it it's Mm. it's really a lot of the time as a composer you can feel quite isolated in what you're doing whereas with opera it's very much a collaborative effort which is nice would you ever think of going into um, writing for musicals as well yeah definitely that was actually something I was doing in September Um, a friend I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say too much about it. A friend has created a script for a musical that they were developing and I was writing the the music for that. So hopefully that will go into production at some point soon. Oh, excellent. Oh, that's yeah. terrific. It's a youth opera company? Yeah, the, so for Glenborn are a professional opera company, but they have a very big youth strand as well. So this opera will be for, it'll be for five professional singers and then um, I think a cast of about 70 singers aged eight to 21 wow is, oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you have to let me know when that's uh, that's gonna happen yeah as you can imagine that's be, all being postponed as well because we're just not allowed to have that many people singing together True. at the moment but soon hopefully that will happen yeah i hope so when you were studying at the irish world academy of uh music and dance uh what drew you to the program or um I suppose there was a couple of things at that point in time I just finished uh I had a bit of a funny route into this um I had just finished a three-year degree in genetics of all things and my plan had been kind of very much to become a scientist and to do that and I had realized at towards the end of that 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 wasn't really what I wanted to do with my life but I didn't really know what I did want to do um and I was missing music a lot from my life so I found this program in Limerick and it was just one year and it was 
in Irish music, which I'd always been interested in and sort of thought, well, I'll go and I'll do that just as it was only really meant to be as a gap year and a bit of fun and something with not very much pressure for a year. Um, and then I just, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, and that was sort of the, the plan after that. So yeah, it was, it kind of was a happy accident, I guess, in a way. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I know the, that program, they, um, they allow you to choose like your, you know, wish list of, of, um, of professors that you'd or performers that you'd want to work with. So who, who did you get to, to work with? Well, I did a lot of work with um, Michael Rooney. Um, and then I had Bronya Hambly, um, Leisha Kelly, and Anne-Marie O'Farrell, and Cormac DeBarra, and yeah, lots of lots of kind of the greats of Irish music, so I was really lucky. Oh, wow. So do you, you tend to play more Irish music than Scottish music? I probably still do, actually. Um, and that's not really a conscious decision. That's maybe just ends up happening that way because of the people that I play with and the and the sessions that I go to and those are the tunes that I'm hearing I mean I, I adore Scottish music as well but I think particularly I love like I love the barn dances and I love the polkas that you only really get in Irish music so they're you know a kind of particular and hornpipes as well maybe yeah maybe it's just that I, I prefer the types of tunes in Irish music then I'm much more likely to play a barn dance or a polka or a hornpipe than I am to play a Strathspey um so yeah that's just kind of a sort of slight aesthetic taste thing, I guess. Oh, right. So I know this year was your first year at Somerset Folk Harp Festival. It's not the same, obviously, not being in person, but... Um... It's not the same, but I mean, I think it was remarkable what Kathy managed to pull off, like absolutely amazing. And it was um, really sort of inspiring how much of a feeling of community was still able to be built, even with having nobody in the same space as each other. And that was really great. And I think that the way the sessions were set up so some things were in advance and some things were live and uh, being able to have the concerts and, and chat with people while they were going on things like that all those things were were really lovely and I think very well planned and very well thought up and I think it's been it was a very that was you know still relatively early in all of this happening and um, so I think it was very encouraging at that point in time to realize what what the possibilities were and and how that people were still willing to learn that way as well because I think that was kind of one of the fears of like will anybody want to come and they did and now that we know that most probably this is the way it's going to be for a while mm. um it was really encouraging and really inspiring to see that work so well. well I know that uh, Rachel Hare with the um the Edinburgh um Harp Festival because she's I think she was one of the first ones that to, to put that on line yeah. I think that really like gave Kathy hope that we could could do it because that had to turn around like you know we had to put all that together in just a few months but um I think seeing the you know the um the Edinburgh Festival Harp Festival you know um do such a nice job with it that yeah you know encouraged so many people so yeah yeah no it was it was really um it's amazing what everyone's managed to do the one of the I mean one of the good things about this is that we were all coming out with much better tech skills than we ever had before <laughs> that's true and I mean the nice thing is you could rewind and and listen to it again and yeah I actually think that for learning in some ways it's it's really better than being in person because people you don't have the noise of like 12 other harpists in the room or, or however many it might be so you can hear what you are doing and yes you can really genuinely go at your own space at your own pace which is really nice definitely um yeah. and 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 learn more than you could because in yeah. person you could maybe go to 
you know, maybe eight workshops, but this you could, you know. Exactly. Yeah, you've just got this long lasting. And, yeah, no, I think it's, it, there are a lot of advantages in it. And it was nice, like the concert, like people were watching you, but you, you were there with them, like chatting in the, in the, you know, comments too, which was yeah, really exactly. nice. Was you know, <laughs> they're like, what's that song? And you could pop up and say, oh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the composition that you wrote for the London Symphony Orchestra, how did you get involved with, with them? Like how did, so that was through, they um, ran a program um, called, I think it was like London Symphony Orchestra First or something for kind of emerging composers who hadn't yet written for a full symphony orchestra. So that was how I got involved with them. Um, so yeah, I was really lucky on that and then ended up um, writing. It ended up being kind of the culmination of a series of pieces that I was working on all about the Scottish keening process. Mm. Um, and so yeah, that was sort of the, the last one in the series. Um, it was, oh. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it was conducted by Sir James Macmillan, who's you know one of the most famous Scottish composers, which was amazing to have him involved with it and yeah I was really lucky oh wow and did the keening um was that also the basis of the um the the mange martyr um that uh choral piece that you wrote too uh, it's not but it there I use some similar techniques from that there's a lot about that kind of um vocal style that I've I've taken from from it yeah although it's not so directly linked mm. Because I, I just because I think what struck me with that piece was was the breathing and just the the staggered, you know, sighing and you know just the it just felt like a very personal kind of piece. Like I mean, when I was listening to the singers, it almost it felt like it was improvised. But um, it it um was any part of that improvised or it was like no, the whole thing is scored out. But I'm really glad if you think it was because I, I like that. I like that when it feels like um quite often even with group pieces and and you hear that in my orchestra piece as well even though it's for ensemble I end up kind of featuring soloist voices throughout it because I like having that kind of contrast of the the solo voice versus the group texture mm. um so get that like yeah sort of personal versus universal effect do, do you have any like vocal composers that you if there's any like modern composers or um that you kind of like lean towards that kind of influenced you yeah my favorite composer is is uh, a composer called Eric Eschenwalds and he's from Latvia um and he just has written some absolutely beautiful works um so I would say that yeah he's probably my my choral composition guru I feel like what I'm interested in is finding the I guess it's like my music is relatively tonal still, but it's got a grittiness to it. And I think that's like the bit that I'm interested in. It's like, I use a lot of traditional music in contemporary composition and the, the parts where I'm not like really interested in making kind of orchestral arrangements of dance tunes or anything like that, but I'm interested in finding like, what are the real nuances of, like when you go back and listen to old archive recordings of traditional music, for mm -hmm. instance, like it's, some of it's quite warped in its tonality. Like there's a lot of kind of, purposeful or not there's a, light, a lot of microtonality that you hear and the, the sort of ornamentation frameworks are quite complex so I've taken a lot of those elements and sort of then maybe like put a bit of a microscope on those parts of it um to focus in on the yeah I guess the kind of darker um and grittier sides of the science that I'm trying to make so it, it's it's mostly like it's definitely not as atonal as many 
contemporary composers, um, but it's also, you know, quite different from just traditional music. Right. Oh, I, I do. I love that. Because um, listening to, you write the older recordings, like the, that the ethnomusicologist took, it not only is, has that personal, um, like everyone's voice is just so personal and beautiful on its own, that it's not maybe not technically like operatic or it's not, you know, the best like technique, but it has a different or just technique, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not like classical technique or, um, but it does have its own sound to it. Like you're saying, like yeah. the microtones and, and things like that, like the ornaments and, um, which is. Yeah, and it's a beauty to it, which I think like a lot of times gets ironed out. Like people, that's kind of one of the problems that when, people started collecting music and notating it down it got very standardized and all those sort of microtonal aspects or, or like the free rhythms and things got very like standardized so that I guess that's what I'm trying to kind of bring back oh right yeah so like if you're looking at an Edward Bunting collection you have to realize that you know he had he listened to a piece once and then he had to write it down as quickly as possible but he might have put in accidentals where there weren't any um yeah. because he was thinking in you know, the Western kind of how it should have sounded on a piano or. Exactly. So it, yeah, I think it's really important to remember when you look at collections, like collections have, are very valuable for some reasons, but also you also have to remember that the standardization has been kind of problematic in many ways as well. So, yeah. Um, have you ever thought about working with like electronic music or um, like a Moog or. Um, so I, I work a little bit with a modular synth. Um, so I've been, my latest release is a project called Adenine and that's like mostly it's harp and then field recordings and the harp is also processed through various like, not like really heavy electronics, but uh, a sort of light touch to it all. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Oh, neat. So field recordings like, um, like from like the, the 20s and? No, like the recordings that I've gone out and collected myself, mostly um, in the Cairngorm Mountains. So recording like the, the sounds of rain and the sounds of water running and using contact mics on on things and um like hydrophones and, and all sorts of things just kind of collecting sounds from the natural landscape that are there oh wow oh so neat so you wouldn't consider using like computer composing where you actually use like you know um code to like program your yeah. for me that's not really my thing like i i have let lots of friends who do that sort of algorithmic type composition and i think it's definitely got its you know it has its benefits for sure but for me it's just not the way I like to work really I guess um I'm still maybe I'm a bit old-fashioned and I'm still quite an instinctive composer and I want to write things that are personal to me in some way so therefore it doesn't really make sense for me to put the decision making process over to a computer um for now. maybe I'm too much of a control freak oh no no, no. <laughs> but well I mean with with the synthesizers there's so much you can do especially with like the the Moogs you could you can change like the curve of the sound you can add in another sound you can you know um I mean it's it's just limitless the what you can add to it yeah absolutely no so yeah it's really fun to play around with yeah oh that's so neat going back to the harp really good at at putting your students at ease and breaking down your phrases and and teaching and um, I, I'm, I'm guessing that that's just another passion of yours is, is sharing that music with people as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, it, it's something that I really enjoy doing. I really enjoy sharing my love for, for the music with people. And I think I was lucky. I had 
a very good teacher myself, but it was Isabel Miras was my teacher. Um, and she had a great way of breaking things down. Um, and I think like so much of teaching is just giving people confidence in what they're doing. And especially with oral learning, people can be very intimidated by it. So it's sort of saying, actually, no, this is not so bad. Like you, you really can do it. And just trying to give people the self-belief. I think especially with adult learners, the self-belief thing can be a major stumbling block. You kind of end up, it's either that is the problem or it's trying to like, run before they can walk I think that's like a phrase I end up using a lot with my students like come on let's just like slow it down and not try to do everything at once and and be sort of um quite methodical in it but I yeah I, I really I'm interested in the way that people learn and, and interested in trying to um cultivate that that love that I have for the music with them you do like individual lessons and group lessons um do you also tutor people in in composing as well yeah I do so I work at the conservatoire the Royal Conservatoire sorry the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland um in Glasgow and I'm on the composition faculty there so I've got um I do a kind of mixture of group lectures and then have some one-to-ones with people so yeah it's really it's really fun to kind of take people through that process of of learning um so when when you were arranging for Irish music um I mean you tend to use more open um intervals and as well just so it's it doesn't give it too modern of a feel yeah I think that's like one thing's like I don't use like really kind of crunchy harmony and I'm not like you know there's lots of people who really know their jazz harmony and things but for me that's not it's not a world that I'm particularly drawn to like I I think I still like quite a kind of clean open sound a lot of the time um so yeah I think it's just all they everything has its place and I think as long as you handle whatever you're doing in a way that's tasteful it works um but you also have to choose where you're one of the hard things with music and being a musician is there's so many different routes that you can do, go down and so many avenues of what's possible. Um, so you sort of have to really find what feels authentic to yourself and, and have conviction in that. And that can be really hard. It can be hard. You know, some people, you, you sometimes you feel, God, my playing should be jazzier or God, it should be simpler. Or I've had, I've had, I had one teacher in Ireland, you know, who said, don't use anything except chords one, four, and five ever. <laughs> you know, you can, you just learn that you'll never please everyone. So you have to find the things that actually you really like to learn or you like to listen to or you like to create and then go with them with kind of all the conviction you have, I think. Great way to live life too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, your inspiration for your compositions, I know you have the um, everyday things like, you're swerving to Miss Bunny's. Was that the? <laughs> yeah, swerving <to> Bunny's. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, but where do you find your inspiration for a lot of your composing? A lot of it comes from the natural world in some ways. Like I, I love the outdoors, and I love, um, particularly in Scotland, like I love the history. So I love. I've created a lot of pieces that are kind of intertwined with landscape or with. Um, folklore or, or history in some way um so that's definitely a big part of it and then I guess the other interest which is maybe kind of growing more recently is is an interest in trying to tell give a voice to voices that may or voice their stories that maybe don't get heard so often um so a lot of my more recent contemporary works have been kind of on like feminist issues um things like like I wrote a big piece last year for a festival on motherhood and like the unspoken issues around motherhood because of course for most of the time you're only ever seeing like the the happy endings to the stories when you're seeing people with kids and, and all well and good but there's so much else to the story often um or at the moment I'm working on a 
opera development of a piece of a sort of novella by Charlotte Gilmore Perkins called The Yellow Wallpaper, which is very much about um, women's mental health and, and control and sort of domestic control. So I think it's really great. I think because as a female composer, our our history of music is so dominated by men and, and men's narrative. I really want to use my voice as a female composer to sort of bring feminist issues into into light and, and just sort of get people not necessarily to have any um, stance on them, but to just at least promote discussion and use my voice to help bring less heard voices into the mix. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, I, I know it's like a lot of uh, people who collect like, like stories and folk, tales and folklore like make want to make sure that those stories are are heard um so i i um i interviewed um frank mccourt once and you know we were yeah it was so cool to like see him but um i when i was i was asking him about like all the stories of like of his neighbors and and things that he you know he's like if he didn't write it down they'd be gone yeah yeah and that's it like there's so much history with with my students i make the most their project where they go and they collect their family's folklore and they're all they always start off by saying oh my family don't have any there's nothing interesting in my family and every time they end up finding something and they say I'm so glad that I especially with like grandparents I'm so glad I took the time to record them before all those stories were lost oh yeah yeah Yeah. I I had a project with some of my students that I I had them collect like just lullabies or or songs that their family would sing like even it was in their church or if it was just like you know they're like like oh it's just it's nothing like you know they but then they realize like oh wow it's like you said yeah, if it's once it's gone it's gone it's yeah thing. like yeah it's really important to get them while we can there is a spike project for for like mothers that they um that this company will send questions to or or, or to anyone really but um prompts that the, for like one a week and then they'd write their story and then at the end of the year they have a book Oh, that's amazing. Of their stories and then like hand it to like their family, you know, um, and the people who have done it have said like, I totally forgot about, you know, Mm. all these little trips and things and memories and and all. Yeah, because it's so easy to think that our own experiences are just sort of not important or invalid. And and definitely, I think when we look at people, you you only see like sort of 1% of what they've really experienced. And then once you give them the space to open up, it's, it's amazing what comes out. Yeah. And like you said, for, for women's voices to be elevated, um, is it, it just has to be, it's so important that it's seen and heard and understood. Um, I think that's, I I hope that's something that that's, I hope that's a trend that'll continue. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I hope so. So, and, and I mean, if for for you as a as a as a female composer, do you um, meet with any obstacles at all, or not? I think that I think that I probably meet with quite a lot of unseen obstacles. I think that it's rare that openly anything is said or openly anything is thought. But I think there's definitely um, there, there's definitely like. I think more of a prejudice towards a woman's music and what it's going to be and what it's going to sound like. And I think that there's, I think it's changing now, but there was a lot of just sort of like staying within the same circles and people not realizing the importance of having diversity and who they were programming and just sort of not seeing a problem with it always being like the same white men that they were seeing it. And, and you would hear always like, Oh, it's down to quality. It's not about, um, it's not about, box ticking or anything and, and that's all well and good but 
you have to give people the the platform in order to get to that level of excellence as well and and that can only happen if you create those opportunities so um so yeah I, I feel like quite lucky and I don't think I have experienced too much or certainly not as a composer but as a performer certainly like all the like I play in a band which is four women and one man and there's just so many everyday little sort of microaggressions that you get like things like you arrive and and straight away they sort of say to the man like oh I bet you did all the driving huh or like the sound text will go straight to the man and ask what they want or like all the decision making kind of it goes to that person or lots of people saying like oh it must be terrible for your husbands when you're away on tour or what are you going to do when you have kids and they just things that they don't ask the men ever um so yeah it, it there are there's definitely a sort of difference in attitude and we've definitely been told things like there was one time we applied for a festival and they said oh well we've already booked a female band <laughs> you can have more than one <laughs> yeah it's not like you're only allowed one and that's it and also you would never say that if it was first of all we're not even a female band because we have a man in the band but second of all like it's yeah you would never think that way if the the roles were reversed so I think we still have a long way to go until it's really equal but we're far far further down the road than we were you're right I think the more representation that's out there um the more it becomes like the the norm and that you know people want to hear more and and you're right that the composers and the performers need to be nurtured too yeah yeah absolutely so, yeah, uh, just I, I think in any society, like the more diverse it is, the more interesting it is because you're hearing more voices and opinions and styles. So it's it's never a bad thing. Yeah, and with a tradition too, that's the way the tradition grows. It's it's not a static tradition. It it gets influenced by everyone and and you know everywhere too. So um, yeah. So where where can people find you and buy your music? Um, yeah, so a couple of places. Um, my main website is aileyrobertson.com and most of my like heart releases and heart books and things like that are there. Some of my choral works as well. Um, I also have a Facebook page, which is just Ailey Robertson, Harpist Composer. Um, my new project is called Adenine, which is A-D-E-N-I-N-E. And again, that's got a Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram and all those things. Um, yeah, I think that those are the main places. Oh, excellent. And um, and then you'll have updates on when your opera will be premiering. And... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All that will be kind of released in, in due course. Oh, excellent. Thank <laughs> you so much for being here and for yeah, taking the no, time out to nice. talk to me. Oh, really nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theatre Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at moonoverthetrees.com. And if you enjoyed the show, Please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast.